All right, praise God. We are leaving off our study of Mark this week for a topical message. It's appropriate because of the DVD that just came out today. We actually have it. It's in my hand uh, from the uh, duplicators. And uh, because I get a question a lot, and I didn't actually time this message for the time the video, the DVD would come out. But uh, it's a question we get often. With our new DVD, Left Behind or Led Astray, which if you're visiting or you don't know about that subject or you're a newer Christian or, or what have you, uh, it's a pretty heavy topic. And everybody's talking about it right now because the times are getting really, really, really dark. Things are getting really bad. Uh, a lot of Christians are talking about you know, things that are going on right now in the world. And uh, basically, you know, the scriptures warn about this last period of history. Uh, you can call it the last three and a half years of this age, called the Great Tribulation Period. Uh, you can call it Daniel's 70th week, which is a seven-year period of time. There's that one week of years left uh, where the Antichrist rises and takes his seat in the temple of God, claiming to be God, demanding that the world worships him. And the scriptures tell us that he'll cause people, uh, the false prophet working with him, will cause people to take a mark. And that mark will be either the name of the beast or the number of his name, 666, on the right hand or forehead to buy or sell. And there'll be this new world order, world government, and what have you. And the debate within the church among brothers and sisters, and this is a debate within the church. We're brothers, no matter where you line up on this. Uh, if you believe that you know Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and you believe the Bible is the Word of God and you subscribe to the virgin birth and the holy teachings of Scripture uh, and, and the, the essential doctrines, you're a Christian. And we could differ on our t- understanding here, but there's a difference in what most believers believe versus what others believe as regard to the timing of Christ coming to rapture the church. The rapture is when Jesus comes back and catches the church up into the clouds to meet himself and those he brings with him in the air. Now the debate centers around whether he's coming before this seven years, in the middle, or after. The view that believes he's going to come and take believers away so they don't have to go through this tribulation and and be tested and tried is called the pre-tribulation rapture view. Because they believe that Jesus will rapture the church before the tribulation period. Uh, there's the mid-tribulation rapture view. It doesn't get much press and people don't talk about it much because very few people hold to that view. doesn't mean it shouldn't be discussed still. Uh, then there's the post-tribulation view, which means that Jesus will come after the tribulation. Believers will be caught up to meet him in the air. He'll defeat the Antichrist, descend with those raptured believers and the resurrected believers, touch his feet in the Mount of Olives, and then reign for a thousand years, which is called the what? What's that thousand-year reign of Christ called? The millennium. Amen. And we are a premillennial church. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back before the millennium, that thousand years, when he comes to reign on earth before the new heaven and the new earth are made. But we are a post-tribulational fellowship. The, The position that this church officially holds is that we will go through the tribulation period. And uh, some of you are like, man, yeah, I know the argument. Man, get right to what your point is that, in regard to this particular study. Not everybody knows the arguments. Not everybody knows there's even an issue here. So we need to actually, you know, discuss, you know, slow down a little bit sometimes because I'm one that does not slow down, you know that. And I just assume you know a lot of things sometimes and that's not always good, you know. 
Uh, so anyway, uh, what I do want to get into, and I had to give a little bit of ex- explanation here because we're going to be talking about Christ coming in relationship to believers and non-believers and what kind of bodies people have that go into that thousand-year reign. Very interesting because I get more questions regarding who will populate the millennium and how do we account for mortal or natural bodies, unresurrected bodies, bodies that haven't been resurrected in that thousand-year reign, then just about any question I get, believe it or not, it's a very common question. I answer up here from time to time. And I thought, man, I, I've mentioned it in messages before, but I've never done a whole teaching on it. What am I talking about? Yes, we're talking about the timing of the rapture, and I haven't done a message on that for a long, 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 long time. <laughs> but we're not just talking about that. We're talking about the millennium the thousand-year reign of Christ, and who will populate it, and how will there be mortal bodies, natural bodies that die in the millennium? How do they get there? Where do they come from? And that question is very relevant to the issue that we're talking about because our pre-tribulationist brethren, our brothers and sisters, and you want to try to follow this whole way through because this is one of those messages that you don't want to get too lost in because I said that you can get lost in my messages, but you'll be able to pick it up usually a paragraph away or something. Joe Buck likes to say, he said, hey, you can miss 25% of your message or half of it and still get way more out of your messages than most preachers because you say so much. Well, I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or a put down, you know. But I do recognize we do talk about things that are hard to understand to a degree, but you still can get a lot out of each message because there's a lot there. Because there's a lot in the Scripture. It's not about me. It's me just liking to share the Scripture instead of a bunch of stories, you know, that I've made up or that I've seen in the world. Although, you know, in our fellowship, we're very relevant. We talk about issues that are going on all the time. But that get, we still have time to get in the Scripture, and that's the main thing we should be in. Amen? So the question arises. Now, this is what you really want to understand. The question arises from our pre-trib brethren, not all of them, but one of the main questions they ask of post-tribulationists is how do you account as a post-tribulationist for mortal bodies going into the thousand-year reign of Christ? Why would they ask the question? Well, first of all, I want to say this. Pre-tribs, in my estimation, and because we still have our $10,000 after offering it to anybody who could give us one clear verse that teaches a preacher of rapture, and nobody has been able to do it. And Thomas Ice, who's probably the most noted scholar out there on the rampage trying to push pre-trib, he's the right-hand man of Tim LaHaye. He actually went public on radio and tried to claim it with a specific verse, you know. Uh, and that verse was 2 Thessalonians 2.3. You know, the verse uh, that talks about how Concerning Christ coming in verse 1 and are being gathered together to Him. The rapture. When it says that won't happen until what happens? The falling away happens first and the man of sin reveal, is revealed. Uh, is, by the way, is that pre-trib or post-trib? That's post-trib, man. It says they're, they're coming, Christ coming to gather us together won't happen until what? The falling away happens first and the man of sin is revealed, the Antichrist. So that's a very clear verse that lets us know it's, the rapture is post-trib. But... Thomas I says, no, that word fallen away, the apostasy, apostasia in the Greek, really that word means that's speaking of the rapture. Huh. Can you believe it? Taking a verse that is understood pretty much virtually in all the translations to be a fallen away or a departure from the faith and making it the rapture 
And we answer that. By the way, you want to get the answer to that? That'll be on our new website, which is up, by the way, called leftbehindorledastray.com. Leftbehindorledastray.com. That answer, which I've written probably about, I don't know, close to 10 pages on that. <laughs> that answer, before I even got the question from him, I was working on a chapter that had finished on that particular argument, which is such a specious argument that uh, the brother that I'm co-writing this book with said, Joe, you sure you want to write a whole chapter on this? I mean, do you really want to deal with it? Maybe put in the, the appendix because, you know... Nobody uses this argument. Well, guess what? Tim LaHaye did like two months later. <laughs> and no, apostasia is the apostasia, the falling away, you know. Uh, and I'm not going to get into that whole argument because that's a whole other deal. And I cover that in part two a little bit of Left Behind Let Straight, the video. But I cover it at a large extent uh, in, the, in an article that will be a chapter that I'm basically turning into an article in our, on our website, Left Behind Let Straight. However, listen to this argument. And you have to understand, this argument, and I believe pre-tribs will use this kind of argument, for instance, because they don't have scriptures. So they use an argument, well, who's going to populate the millennium if it's post-trib and not pre-trib? But let me articulate the argument in a way that you can understand the logic behind it. Because it seems logical on its surface until you search the scriptures on the subject matter at hand, okay? And the argument basically just asks the question. In fact, I'm going, to, going to ask, I'm going to give the argument from, now listen, from Christian Information Bureau. I'm sorry, Berean Call. Berean Call used to be called Christian Information Bureau. It was Dave Hunt's ministry before he had passed on to be with the Lord. Dave Hunt was a precious saint. Disagreed with him on this issue, though. And I actually wrote a, a few articles for him for a Christian Information Bureau before it was Brian Call, years and years ago, probably the 80s. I'm giving away my age here, right? But it's interesting. Uh, Dave Hunt's ministry, Brian Call, is huge. He's passed on. Tom McMahon, uh, who is a co-author of some of his books, uh, is now the head of that ministry. Uh, we've had Tom speak here a couple times. Even though he's pre-trib, we're brethren. He spoke at this our fellowship a couple times in the past. Love the brother. Uh, we're on the same team, but we differ on this issue. Well, t- they're, they're asked about our video left behind Let Astray. They actually did a radio program that Thomas Ice challenged for the 10,000 on. But subsequent to that radio program, somebody wrote in a question about watching the trailer because the video wasn't out yet. And listen to the question. I just saw a trailer for a documentary titled Left Behind or Let Astray. That takes a post-tribulation rapture position. One of the featured participants chides pastors, he's talking about Joel Richardson here because that's in the trailer, he chides pastors who teach a pre-tribulation rapture for not equipping their congregations to go through the seven-year great tribulation. What is your response? And that is a big issue with us. And that's why I asked Joel Richardson about that question and he gave a really good response. And I've written a lot on that issue because Jesus spent a lot of time, when you read Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and you harmonize those about the end times, about the tribulation period, he spent a lot of time warning us about being prepared and not being deceived at that time and not being overcome by false Christ and false prophets and, and not falling into drunkenness and, and, and sin and things of that nature and watching out uh, that our love doesn't grow cold because lawlessness would increase and, the one, and there'll be a great falling away and the one who endures the end will be saved. A lot of warnings, right? Well, guess what? The response to that, which we're really not here to talk about the response other than what I want to mention regarding what they say about the millennium. But the response is, hey, you know what? 
you know, why would Jesus basically prepare the church to survive the tribulation period, you know, and because it would be a non-event when Jesus comes back because so much is going to happen and it would be a classic non-event when Jesus comes back because hardly anybody would be alive and so forth. And it's all, and the, the, the answer, and I'm hoping they just misunderstood the question. The question wasn't, wasn't whether or not we should be prepared to survive for seven years, but to whether or not we, how we should be prepared or whether or not we should be prepared to, to endure through the tribulation and lay our lives down for the Lord if necessary before that seven years is up. Amen? And that, they, that is never addressed. And that's what the question really is about. However, uh, I want to get to the tail end because after stating that it would be a classic non-event, the rapture because hardly anyone would be left. By the way, if only 10 people were left or 500 people were left at the end of the tribulation, it would still be a glorious event. Was Jesus' resurrection not a glorious event? Because he only appeared to just barely over 500 people. Yes or no? It was still a glorious event. Amen? And I'm sure there'll be way more than 500 Christians alive when Jesus comes. And Jesus said that he'll gather his elect from the four winds after the tribulation. And by the way, it'll be the dead in Christ rising first. Amen? So all the Christians who have died, which is probably numbering the hundreds of millions, if not billions, right? With the believers that remain at Christ's coming when the whole world is darkened and he comes to defeat the Antichrist and set up his kingdom and we will reign with him for a thousand years. That's a glorious event no matter how many Christians are alive when he comes. Amen? Okay, I want to teach and not preach right now. So I'm starting to get fired up. So I want to mellow out because if I get too emotional, you're going to miss the salient points that need to be made. So I love to preach too, but this isn't a preaching message. But hey... We get it fired up about Jesus' second coming, amen. We're excited that He's coming and in the manner in which He's coming. If you mean it's not going to be a glorious event because there won't be a bunch of people that, you know, get left behind and planes crash into buildings of unbelievers and won't make a spectacular movie like that. Ah, no, it'll be far more radical and far more powerful than that because Jesus will touch down on the earth at that time and begin to reign and people won't be scratching their heads. They'll know the Son of Man has come, amen. So, it's important to understand now, at this point, uh, listen to the end of that answer regarding the challenge to post-tribulationists about not having an answer as to how mortal bodies get in the tribulation and why they make that point. Because it sounds logical from a pre-trib standpoint if you don't know the scriptures on this subject. And they're able to make a post-tribulationist who is ignorant of the scriptures on this subject, all of a sudden like, oh, I don't know. Oh, that's a good question. And then all of a sudden, the, the post-tribulationist goes home scratching his head instead of realizing all the scriptures put the rapture at the end of the tribulation whenever they give a sign, uh, a sign signature or a, sign, a time signature. It's always at the end. And all of a sudden, they're scratching their head over a question that I like to turn around on the pre-tribulationist and say, show me how mortal bodies, from a pre-trib perspective, of believers get into the tribulation into the millennial period but i don't want to jump too far ahead here let me read uh the question i already read the question let me read the last part of the response listen to this quote listen from a brian call moreover when all believers all believers both jews and non-jews are removed from the earth they are given immortal bodies and do not procreate and will be with the lord forever Post-tribulationist has no answer, post-tribulation has no answer for who will then populate the earth during the millennial reign of Christ. See, the idea is, and let me add a little to that to get it, make it, the argument even stronger. 
when Jesus comes back, if he comes back at a post-trib after the tribulation period, and this is good for you, you need to have answers, guys, regarding the times. The Bible says we're to understand the times. If Jesus comes back after the tribulation, what's going to happen to all the believers? We're going to be what? Caught up. The dead in Christ will rise. We'll be caught up to meet Him in the air. We will get What kind of bodies will we have? Resurrected immortal bodies. But what about the non-believers? Non-believers, the pre-trib says, think about it. They're going to be destroyed at Christ's second coming. All those at the mark of the beast and everything, right? They're destroyed. So the non-believers, now I'm giving the pre-trib view, because there's more to the picture than what I'm saying right now. But the pre-trib view is all the believers are raptured, given resurrected bodies, and all the wicked are destroyed. Therefore, how do you get people in the millennium, the thousand-year reign, who procreate with mortal bodies? Good question. If that's the scenario, right? See, now think of it from a pre-trib perspective. In a pre-trib perspective, they say, well, Jesus comes before the tribulation, right? Raptures the church. People become Christians during the tribulation. Christ comes back and destroys all the wicked at the end of the tribulation. But there's these tribulation saints that miss the rapture. And now they get to go into the millennium and will procreate. Do you understand? So from a pre-trib perspective, it's like, hey, we got an answer for this puzzle. But post-tribs don't have an answer. And so they can't go to a scripture that clearly says there's a pre-trib rapture. And many of their leaders admit that. We document that. And do we document it? That's why our video is like four and a half hours long. Post-trib leader after, I mean, pre-trib leader after pre-trib leader. And many of them, they don't have a clear scripture that teaches pre-trib. So they have to use these kinds of arguments. Where we can go right to the scripture and say, hey, look, the Bible clearly says we won't be raptured until the fallen away in the Antichrist happened first. To me, that settles it, right? But I still think we should have answers. And I believe there's answers to all the uh, questions that pre-tribs ask. Now, listen to this. Uh, and I'm going to quote Thomas Ice, Tim LaHaye's colleague and top apologist at the Pre-Trib Research Center, which they started together. Listen to how he states the problem. A problem generated by the viewpoint of premillennial post-tribulationism is as follows. Who will populate the millennium with mortals if the rapture occurs in association with the second coming? This is a problem. Now listen to what he says. This is a problem that has never been answered by any post-tribulationist. Untrue. And if you think so, if he honestly listens to this message, he will never be able to say that again. Because be very clear. He goes on to say, in fact, very few post-tribulationists even attempt to answer this problem. Instead, most just ignore it. End quote. Well, we certainly aren't ignoring it. And we believe we're giving a very clear answer to this. In fact, we believe the Lord himself reveals in his word the solution to this alleged problem. It's not really a problem at all when you see what the scriptures say on this issue. Now, to be sure, both pre-trib, mid-trib, you know, post-trib, uh, premillennialists, meaning before the thousand years, we all believe he's coming before the thousand years, uh, we believe there'll be a thousand year reign of Christ. That's, you know, that's within the, just the term pre-millennial. Uh, and both camps, pre and post, believe that there'll be, believers will be in resurrected bodies. And we'll reign with Christ for a thousand years. But, in fact, we know, however, that there'll also be what? Mortal bodies on the earth at that time. We do know that. So if a post-tribber says, well, there won't be any mortal bodies during the thousand years. I haven't seen a post-tribber saying it. I wouldn't doubt that some have resorted to that. That wouldn't be a good answer because it wouldn't be biblical. So yes, there'll be mortal bodies on the earth at that time with resurrected bodies. That'll be a trip, right? 
Resurrected people will be there reigning with Christ for a thousand years with people with mortal bodies that die. You say, some will say, that seems strange. Well, guess what? Do you know what's already happened? Jesus rose, right? In his resurrected body and he hung out with the disciples, right? And appeared to over 500 of them and hung out with disciples for what? 40 days, right? Even ate with them, remember? So it's already happened before, which is kind of interesting. But little proof that there's mortal bodies in the millennium is please go to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65. And when you get there, go ahead and jump down to oh, around uh, verse 18 or so. I'll go to verse 20. Isaiah 65, 20. No longer will there be an infant who lives but a what? few days. Or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of what? 100. Can you imagine you died at 100? That's very rare somebody can live that old. But in those days, if you died at 100, you'd be, you'd be like, wow, poor guy died so young. He barely was here with us. You know, wow, his life was like a vapor. Because it'll be like, you know, after the flood, because the, the topography will change. It'll be made like Eden again, although there'll be people in a fallen state still that will reign over for a thousand years. And, you know, like Methuselah and these guys who lived, you know, what, he lived 969 years old. There'll be people living a long time. So in verse 20, we read, For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. Well, if you die under 100, man, that guy was cursed, you know? That's, that's, that's amazing. We're talking about the millennium. In fact, look at verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will not, or I'm sorry, they will do no evil nor, or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So we're talking about uh, the millennium, the millennial period uh, of time. Now, let me just say this too. By the way, you know, we, we quote, Pre-trib leader after pre-trib leader, not only saying there's not a clear verse in the Bible teaching pre-trib, but admitting that the early church, these leaders admit the early church fathers were post-tribulationists. They were premillennial. They believed in a literal thousand years because some deny that thousand years will even happen. They're amillennials or you know post mills and so forth uh, that in certain ways deny that thousand years or that it's literal at the very least. Uh, we believe there's a literal thousand year millennium. The scriptures are very clear about that in Revelation chapter twenty. Uh, however it's important that we understand at this juncture that we believe, yes, there will be mortal bodies that live at that time, but as Christians, we believe that we will be in resurrected bodies, and we read in, about the rapture in several verses, which we strongly affirm. In fact, the name of this fellowship is Blessed Hope Chapel. Uh, we named it after the hope of Christ's second coming, amen, to, to rescue believers and, 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 and transform us so we can be with Him and be like Him and always be with the Lord and reign with Him for a thousand years and so forth. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 51-53. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Okay? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Some people have misapplied that verse. I've seen that verse hanging over a nursery before. They shall not all sleep, but they shall all be changed. You know, I'm like, no, that's not what that's talking about, you know. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. 
For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for the corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. By the way, he tells us in these verses and the verses that follow when this takes place. It's post-trib. He quotes Hosea. He quotes Isaiah, which are classic resurrection texts for the Jewish nation, which everybody understands, or most everybody understands, is at the end of the tribulation, most pre-tribs say that the Jews are resurrected at the end of the tribulation period. And he quotes those of the rapture being fulfilled at that time. And he says that what trumpet? The last trumpet. Now, I would be pre-trib, or at least I'd be very confused if he said before the first seal. Because when you go to the first seal, that's when the tribulation period starts. I'd be like, wow, it says the rapture. We caught up before the first seal. I'd be, okay, that's a powerful... Here's your $10,000. But it doesn't say before the first seal. He says that the last what? Trumpet. What happens, did Jesus say, happens immediately after the tribulation when he takes his disciples what the tribulation look like and tells them how to endure that time? He says, he'll see immediately after the tribulation, post-trib, the Son of Man will be coming, the clouds and so forth, and all these things will happen, and there'll be the sound of a great trumpet. Amen? If, if the pre-trib rapture happened seven years earlier at a last trumpet, then that next that trumpet at the end of the tribulation would not be the last trumpet, right? The, the, the pre-trib rapture couldn't be the last trumpet. Do you understand? It wouldn't be the last trumpet. The last trumpet would be what trumpet? First, fifth, or seventh, if there's seven trumpets. There are seven trumpets in Revelation. And it so happens when you go to Revelation chapter uh, 11, verses 15 through 19, you see the blowing of the seventh trumpet, and guess what you see? Verses 15 through 19 describe Christ's return and Him taking dominion over the earth. It's the picture of the second coming of Christ where the nations of this world become the, the kingdom of Christ, it says. And it talks about Him reigning, and it talks about Him rewarding the saints and those who fear His name. We get our reward when He comes, it says. It's post-trib, the context. Oh, and another rapture verse, which pre and post believes describing the rapture, a classic rapture text. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, probably quoted more than any other rapture text, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Wait, who goes first? The dead in Christ or the, the living saints? The dead in Christ shall rise first. That's important to keep in mind. Then we which are alive and remain. That Greek word translated remain can be translated survive, by the way. Which are alive and survive, or remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds with who? Those who rose first. They've been waiting a long time, right? They've been waiting a long time. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. By the way, if you kept reading the text... It's also in a post-trib context because there's no chapter breaks in the original. There's no chapter that never says, says chapter 5 in Paul's letter. He goes on to talk about when this takes place. And he says the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. And he says when he comes to bring sudden destruction on the wicked. Not seven years earlier. <laughs> it's when he comes to bring sudden destruction is when is the t- coming he's talking about. It's not a secret coming seven years earlier. So, ironically, now I think this is interesting. Let's turn the tables a little bit before I give you the clear scriptures that show there's mortal bodies in the millennium and how they get there. Ironically, our pre-trib brothers will pressure post-tribs who are ignorant uh, about this, uh, you know, this concept in scripture, haven't really studied the millennium as far as mortal bodies being in it. They'll pressure them to show a passage that gets mortal bodies in the millennium from a post-trib perspective. And they just assume, they just assume their view is correct. 
Because they say, keep in mind, hey, look, if the rapture is before the tribulation and people get saved during the tribulation and then Christ comes back and destroys all the wicked and those that are left are those that got saved during the tribulation, they'll enter the, tribula- the millennium with their what? Mortal bodies and they can procreate. Do you understand the argument, right? Did you just ever think to question the argument though? I asked pre-tribs, show me one scripture that shows Christians who become believers during the tribulation period that go into the millennium with mortal bodies. Show me that. It's almost, it's like my pre-trib brethren will say, show me one place where you see the church mentioned in, 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 on earth during the tribulation period. Show me just one verse. You can't show me one verse that says the church is on the earth during the tribulation period. Huh. I, wait a minute. Let's just turn the tables here. The book of Revelation mentions heaven a whole lot over and over again. Chapter 4 and 5, you know, and throughout the book of Revelation. Show me one verse that says the church is in heaven during the tribulation period. Ah, uh, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But guess what? We can show you verses that show, that describe the church during the tribulation period. You know, we can show many scriptures like a great multitude that no man can number from every nation and people and tongue cleansed by the blood of Jesus that come out of, meaning they were in it, the great tribulation period. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 14. If we were going to describe the church today, how would we describe it? As people from every nation and people and tongue who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, right? Well, that's, I don't know what else that would be in Revelation chapter 7. Just because your theology doesn't want it to be the church doesn't make it so. Also, there's many other proofs. One example would also be in Revelation 19. Just before Jesus comes back at his post-trib coming, it says his bride, in verses 5 through 7, has made herself ready. She's ready for the wedding supper. And then he comes to get her. Okay? The wedding supper isn't seven years earlier at a pre-trib rapture. That contrary to a party going on in heaven during the tribulation period, they're crying out, how long until you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, the saints under the altar? They're not having a party yet. So, just like there's an argument from silence, oh, well, guess what? The church isn't mentioned during... Well, they actually are. But they're not mentioned, show me them in heaven. Well, look at the 24 elders. Hmm. Let me see which looks more like the church. 24 elders? Or a great multitude that no man can number from every nation, people, and tongue cleansed by the blood of Jesus? I think you lose that argument every time. But also, you can turn the tables on this argument. Show me a clear passage that shows mortals who are tribulation saints that come to Christ that go into the millennium with their mortal bodies. Show me. They can't show you. But guess what? The irony of this whole argument is like other pre-trib arguments, when you look at it closely, it actually supports post-tribulationism because we can show mortal bodies going into the millennial period. But they're not the saints. They're not the believers that get saved during the tribulation period. Because guess what happens to believers or people that get saved before the tribulation and during the tribulation when Christ comes? We get raptured and we get caught up and the dead in Christ rise first. So the believers are that are already trusting in Jesus before He comes, we get resurrected. So the whole pre-trib argument that the, the, the believers are the mortal people that get in the, in the millennium, and then they have children, and many of their children rise up against Christ at the second coming, that's ridiculous. Not scriptural. Now, by the way, are you with me? Okay. Now, in fact, take your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 20. By the way, when does Jesus Christ come back? He's depicted as coming back in Revelation 1-7. 
Revelation 11, 15 through 19. Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 21. That's the most classic text on his uh, coming in the book of Revelation when he comes to destroy the beast and the false prophet. But then in conjunction with his second coming, what happens at the end of the tribulation? Well, Paul said the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught to meet them in the air. That's what the church had believed for almost, you know, 1,800 years before Edward Irving and John Darby and so forth. But look at Revelation 20, because when Jesus comes back, it's in conjunction. The believers are raised. The bride is made ready, verses 5 through 7 of chapter 19. He comes back, verses 11 through 21. He sets up his kingdom, and look at what the result of that is. Verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. Now check this out. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a what? Thousand years. Okay, that's the millennium. By the way, the thousand years is mentioned six times specifically. I think God is making a point that there is a thousand year reign of Christ, and Satan's bound for a thousand years. Okay, he's put on this, this chain. He's chained. Verse 3, And he threw him into the abyss and shut him and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Many of our brethren say, well, you know, it's not a literal thousand years. Or they say, hey, you know what? Uh, we're in the millennium right now. This is the millennium. If it is the millennium, that's a really long chain because Satan's all over the place, right? And he's deceiving the nations, amen? First John five nineteen says, we know that we are of God, but the whole world is under the power of the evil one, Amen? So the millennium hasn't happened yet. And also, just back up the page, Revelation 19, 11 through 21, Jesus Christ did not return in glory yet and defeat the armies of Antichrist and set up his, his kingdom. Verse 4. Then I saw thrones. I saw thrones. And he said, uh, they that... Now watch what he says here. It's important. And they sat on them. Who's they? And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been what? Beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God. There's another group. He sees souls of those who were persecuted because of Jesus, because their testimony, beheaded. It's happening right now, even before the tribulation period. It's been happening for 2,000 years. And those who had not worshipped the beast, the believers who went through the tribulation, or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they what? Came to life. There's resurrection, guys. They came to life. Seize their souls. But they what? They came to life and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. Wow. Now it's interesting because he says the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. But as to those who came to life, they participated in what do you call it? This is the what? First resurrection. The other statement is parenthetical. The rest of the wicked don't come to life until the thousand years completed. Those who came to life, this is called the first what? Resurrection. Look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the what? First resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Praise God. 
You want to be in that resurrection, brothers and sisters. Amen? You want to be in that resurrection, the first resurrection, because the second resurrection is after the thousand years, after Satan is let loose. At the end of the thousand years, Satan's let loose for a short time. And he deceives the multitudes who were born from those who came into the millennium with mortal bodies. Not, saying, not to say he deceives every last person who was born to someone with mortal body, but he'll deceive a, a whole mass of people. And they will come against Jesus, who's reigning in Jerusalem, and the Father will rain fire upon them and destroy them. Then he will create a new heaven and a new earth. But in between that time and the new heaven and new earth, there'll be the great white throne judgment where everybody will be resurrected who hadn't been resurrected prior to. And all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be sent to the lake of fire where Satan had been thrown prior to that time, prior to the great white throne judgment. So you want to make sure you participate in the first resurrection. But I do want to say this to you. What happens to believers who go through the tribulation? Do they somehow miss the rapture or miss the resurrection? Yes or no? Absolutely not. So when the pre-tribber says, we have an explanation as to how there's mortal bodies in the tribulation period, it's the believers that become believers after the pre-trib rapture, then they'll go into the millennium with their, their mortal bodies. Absolutely untrue. The Bible doesn't teach that. What happens to believers who are saved during the tribulation period, along with all the other believers? They're resurrected in the what resurrection? The first resurrection. By the way, I believe the post-tribulationist view is far more literal than the pre-trib view. When we see the last trumpet, it's the what? Last trumpet. Not seven, seven years before the last trumpet. When we see the first resurrection of the church, it's the first resurrection. Because guess what? If the church was raptured seven years earlier, before this resurrection here at the end of the tribulation, this would not be the first resurrection. It would be the what? The second resurrection, right? But the first resurrection is after the tribulation. That means there wasn't a resurrection seven years earlier. Now, a pre-trib brethren will say, oh, well, you know, the rapture and the resurrection seven years earlier is like a, the first phase or a second phase or another phase of that resurrection and part of the first resurrection. Ah, nice philosophy. It, doesn't, it contradicts a lot of Scripture. And show me a verse that says that. Show me a Scripture that teaches that. Show me where it says there's a resurrection before the tribulation. You can't. So you can't make things up either, though. We have to go with Scripture. And this is what the church had taught the early church for the first few centuries. And it never spread throughout the church any other idea as far as a pre-trib rapture goes until the 1800s. See our video, Left Behind or Led Astray. Eye-popping DVD. Now, are you with me? All right. By the way, we do know in Daniel chapter 12, the first couple of verses, it talks about those who awake from the dust, you know, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting contempt. And most pre-tribs understand that that's a resurrection of the Jews at the end of the tribulation. And by the way, did you know the Jews, the dead in Christ, those who were looking forward to Messiah, were saved through what Messiah would do on the cross? And those believers during the last 1,800 years that are waiting, they've been waiting a long time. In fact, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, when it's talking about the Old Testament saints who died, it says many of them were tortured, but they didn't renounce their faith because they were looking forward to a better resurrection. They wanted to be in the first resurrection. They didn't want to go to the lake of fire, so they didn't deny Jesus. But it says that we, it says, it says in that scripture that they won't be perfected without us. 
we're all going up together. So if the resurrection for the Jews was at the end of the tribulation and one group's not going to be perfected without the other, it's all at the same time at the end of the tribulation period. Now, by the way, the scriptures clearly preclude the idea of a rapture taking place. Uh, keep, keep in mind, this we're saying, well, well, Joe, that's the resurrection. They're resurrected. Yeah, they're, they're resurrected there, but the rapture. But wait a minute. What happens first, the resurrection of believers or the rapture? The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, we caught up to meet in the air. So the first resurrection, as soon as that resurrection takes place, that's when the catching up takes place right after that. Not seven years earlier, right after that. It's precluded from happening before. Also because Paul said concerning Christ coming, are we gathered together to him not to be deceived. That won't happen until the fallen away and the Antichrist come first. Now, how do we find post-trib from a post-trib position? How do we account? Because clearly the pre-trib position can't account for mortal bodies being in the millennium, at least what they say it's believers. That's not scriptural, that people that became Christians during the tribulation. What do the scriptures actually teach on this? Let me read something else from Thomas Ice. However, the post-tribulationism, for post-tribulationism, this issue is, in my opinion, an unsolvable problem. If the post-tribulational view that the rapture occurs in conjunction with the second coming is accepted, then the rapture event will result in all believers alive at Christ's returning, return being transformed from their current mortal state to immortality uh, via a, a uh, translation to heaven. No, that's not true. Ha! Post-tribs don't believe we'll be translated to heaven at that time, so he's mischaracterizing the post-trib view. But yeah, we do believe that all of our bodies will be transformed in the air and that will come and reign with Christ. Amen? So he made a mistake there. I'm sure it's an honest mistake. Then he says, since all believers will be judged, or since, he, since all unbelievers, he says, all unbelievers will be judged or killed at Christ's return, thus there will be no mortals left to enter into the thousand-year reign of Christ. End quote. You see, we still have a riddle to solve, right? Don't we? It's one thing to refute the preacher view and show that they don't have a, a, a leg to stand on. It's another thing for us to find mortal bodies in the millennium and how they get there. Not a problem. Thank you, God, for always coming through. Amen? He may not come through the way you want Him to, but whenever He comes through, it's always better than what we expect if it doesn't meet what we expect. Now, to be fair to the position... From a post-trip standpoint, do we believe that all believers are going to be transformed so no believers will have mortal bodies? No. I mean, those, you know, when Christ comes, will all believers be caught up? Yeah. Resurrected? Yeah. But we don't believe that every last non-believer, every single one without exception, will be damned and not go into the millennial period. But let me give you a few scriptures that our pre-trib brethren would use to say, hey, look, Everybody's going to be damned when Christ comes except believers. So there can't be any mortal bodies if you're post-trib. Listen to this. And it's going to sound somewhat convincing at first till we take a closer look. Mark 1.5 And all the, country, all the country of Judea... I'm sorry. Jumped a little bit ahead of myself here. Listen carefully. Matthew 13.41 The Son of Man shall send forth His angels and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend 
and them which do iniquity. Oh, look, when he comes, he's going to gather out all things that offend and do iniquity. Who's left to populate the millennium then? That's the question. Luke 17, 29. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Woo! Look at that. Everybody seems to be destroyed. Okay? However, careful students of the Scripture recognize that when the word all is used in Scripture, that sometimes it refers to many people and doesn't mean all without exception. Now, it's one thing to say that all doesn't mean all without exception all the time, but you would have to prove or disprove what that word means in any given context, amen? It's one thing to state it. We have to prove it. Uh, Let me give you some examples. Tell me after I read each of these next verses, whether all means every single person without exception on the planet. Listen to this. Mark 1.5 All and all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. Is that all without exception? Everybody in Jerusalem? No. Jesus himself said in Luke 7.30 that you lawyers and scribes refuse God's purpose for you in rejecting the baptism of John. So it's not all without exception there. It's just, remember, sometimes we use expressions like that. The whole town was there. Does that mean everybody, including their aunt and uncle, was there? No, it's an expression to say a lot of people. How about John uh, 3.36? And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he, uh, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Again, we've proven that that doesn't mean everyone without exception. How about John 8, 2? Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. Does that mean everybody on earth? No. The temple wouldn't be big enough. You see, the, the Jerusalem wouldn't be big enough. Acts two forty five. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Did the disciples and so forth of Jesus in Acts 2 share their possessions with everybody on earth without exception? Yes or no? No. So all doesn't always mean everyone without exception. Now let me say this. We have to be careful with this because you can't, when you see the word all now and say what well, doesn't mean everyone without exception, you have to look at the context. I'll give you an example. Our Calvinist, Calvinistic brethren will quote 1 Timothy 2.4 or we will quote that, that God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Then verse 6, a couple of verses later, that Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. And they'll say, yeah, it sounds like he gave himself a ransom for all, and it sounds like he wills that all would be saved, but some of the Calvinists will say, but you know what, really, he didn't really give himself a ransom for all, and that all doesn't mean all without exception. How can we know from the context there? Very easy. You back up a few verses to the very end of chapter 1, verse 15, and you see that Paul said that Jesus died for him, gave, uh, you know, saved him, the chief of all sinners. Then you read the first few verses right before verse 4 and verse 6 that I quoted, and guess what you read? Paul says, pray for everyone, including, all, including the kings. That means who? Nero, Caesar, who's going to be head Paul right after that. He, Paul's, that Paul does have everybody in mind, Amen. He's saying pray for everybody. He's not saying pray, pray for everybody, but not certain wicked people that you don't think are the elect. No, he wants us to pray for everybody, including wicked kings, who many of them weren't elect, amen? 
And so when he talks about all, Jesus willing all to be saved and give himself ransom for all, that all means all. Amen? So we have to look at a given context and to uh, and apply a pop- proper hermeneutic to this. In fact, let me give you an example. In Revelation, during the end times, when all doesn't mean everyone without exception, Revelation 13, 16 says, And he, speaking of the false prophet, causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Does that mean that every single person will receive a mark on the right hand or forehead? Absolutely not. Read Revelation 15. There's many people that die and refuse to take the mark of the beast. There's others who are in the wilderness when Christ comes, who are caught up in the air, the Scriptures talk about. In Revelation chapter uh, 12, we see uh, a woman uh, being protected by God in the wilderness, which is a remnant of Israel and what have you. Uh, in Revelation 20, 4-6, we see the first resurrection comprises, includes people that refuse to take the mark of the beast. Amen? So when it says He gives everyone the mark of the beast, it doesn't mean everyone without or all, without exception. Amen? So... When pre-tribs try to use and say, hey, look, all believers are resurrected and raptured at the pre-trib rapture, and everybody else is destroyed at the end, all of them, it says, we have to look at the context of that issue too. Because if we see that there's other people that are not damned when Christ comes, in mortal bodies that go into the millennial period, right, separate from believers, then we know that we have to account for them when we rightfully divide the word of truth. When we compare Scripture with Scripture, and spiritual things with spiritual things. Amen? So if the Scriptures say, hey, he's going to give everyone the mark of the beast, but you see there's other people that didn't take the mark of the beast, you, you realize he doesn't successfully do it for everyone. When the Scriptures mention that uh, people will be destroyed, the wicked will be destroyed at the end, but then you see that some of the wicked aren't, you have to allow and accept all the Scripture on this subject. Amen? That's what we're talking about here. And not cherry-pick certain Scriptures that to try to support your view. Let's be honest with the Word of God. And I would challenge my pre-trib friends to bow to the Scriptures that I share with them at this point and say, you know what? I have to work that into my systematic theology. I have to work that into my eschatology and accept what the Scriptures say because the Scriptures clearly show mortal bodies of non-believers going into the millennial period. And who are they? It's a good question. And I believe the Scriptures give some really good answers. Now, we know as well that Jesus will reign not just with us and we'll, we'll reign really with Him for a thousand years, but that He'll reign and we'll reign with Him over people in natural mortal bodies. We read in Psalm chapter 2, verses 6-9, through nine, But as for me, I have installed my King upon Zion, my holy mountain. I surely will tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them with earthenware. And then we read in Psalm 110, listen to this, verses 1 and 2. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth his strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. When Jesus comes to reign, it won't be just with us reigning with him. He'll be ruling in the midst of his enemies on earth during those thousand years. And in Revelation 19, verse 11, John said, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Yet we're told in verse 15, uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. So that, uh, so that with it he may strike down uh, the nations. 
And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will uh, tread, it says, he, will, uh, he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Okay, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 26 and 27. He who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end. Sound familiar? To him, these to the churches. To him will I give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. So we'll reign with Christ, and He's going to rule. He's going to uh, uh, come back radically. The wicked will be destroyed with the mark of the beast. Okay, The Scriptures are clear. Those who have the mark of the beast are wiped out. They don't get a second chance. We're not talking about them entering the millennial period. And He will rule then in the midst of His enemies. He's going to allow some to enter the millennium. Who are these people He allows? That's the question. That's the question. Now, there's some really good answers. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. We'll see the first group that's going to enter into the millennial period with mortal bodies. Zechariah. Go to Zechariah. And when you get there, go ahead and go to... uh, I want you to go to Zechariah chapter, chapter 12. Right, close to the Old Testament. And now we know this is at the end times. We read in the first few verses how Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling to all the nations around. And those who try to touch Jerusalem will be severely injured and Christ will come back and defend them. And that's what time it is right now on the eschatological clock right now. Right now things are happening to where the whole world's concerned about Jerusalem. But then Christ will come. And then we read in verse 10. Go ahead and look at verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have what? They have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And they will weep bitterly over him. God bless you. Like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning that had a driven in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn every family by itself. The family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves. And the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves. And the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves. And the family of, of the Shimeites, not the Shimelites, the Shimeites, by itself and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. When Christ comes back, Guess who's going to see him that they pierce? Who pierced? Who's it speaking of here? It's speaking of the tribes of Israel, the Jews who pierced him. Now, when Jesus Christ comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first, right? We who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. Amen. But then when he comes down and he stands on the Mount of Olives, he'll reveal himself to another company of people, a remnant of Jews who have not understood him to be the Messiah yet, and they're weeping because they see the one that they pierced. Because Jesus said to them in Matthew 23, you will not see me again, he said, until you say what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So there'll be many of Jews that refuse to take the mark of the beast who are crying out for the Messiah to come. And then when they see the Messiah come, they'll be like, oh, wow. It's Jesus. 
And we know, we know a lot of what they'll say. You know how we know what they'll say? It's in Isaiah chapter 53. It shows what they'll say. They'll say, we thought you were smitten by God. You know, we, we thought, you know, they'd be shocked. And they'll say, we all like sheep went astray, but the Lord laid the iniquity of us all upon him. You know, we made a mistake. But you see, they're crying out with a sincere heart to the light that God's revealed to them, and he gives them more light. And it's just like when Joseph was rejected by his brethren, who were, incidentally, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. They represented the 12 tribes. They rejected brethren, uh, Joseph, and he was persecuted, thrown in a pit like Jesus, rose to the right hand of, of Pharaoh, fed the world bread just like Jesus was rejected by his own. The descendants of those 12 tribes was thrown in the pit, crucified, rose to the right hand of God, is giving bread to the world right now. Amen. And then Joseph revealed himself after that to his brethren. And there was great weeping. Here Jesus reveals himself, it was me all along. And they'll be blown away and they'll start weeping and crying. And guess what? They're not cleansed from their sins until after this, after they see him. How do we know? Look at verse chapter 13, the next verse. In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity. So they don't go into the millennium with resurrected rapture bodies. They don't recognize Jesus until after he comes to the earth and they're cleansed after that event. Do you understand that? So the, the, the clear passage, it's pretty clear, has Jews coming to Christ. There'll be, of course, Jews that come to Christ during the tribulation period, no doubt about it. Amen? But there's Jews that come to Christ after the tribulation period and we see that they're the ones who enter or go into the what? They'll go into the millennial period with natural mortal bodies and they will be able to have offspring. Are you with me? So, does a post-trib perspective offer an answer as to how mortal bodies get into the millennium? Yes or no? Yes, very clearly. Ah, but we don't stop here. We also see mortal Gentiles, not just Jews, go into the millennial period as well. I'm glad you're here, Francesca, because... When she was new at our fellowship, you, this was your question. Remember that? Came up and said, I have a question for you, you know? And she was already post-trib, but it was a great question. And she's one of those who would uh, ask that question. I praise God because that my brothers and sisters are into these kinds of issues and want to know what the scriptures say, you know? But now go to Zechariah 14, just two chapters later. And it's, it's heavy, man. Behold, verse 1, a day is coming uh, for the Lord when the spoil will be taken from you and it will be divided among you. And it talks about this destruction that's coming. It talks about uh, when Jesus comes back and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, which all of premillennialists believe is the second coming of Christ, or typically believe. Verses 3 and, f- three f- and 4, look at this. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of what? Olives. Remember when Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives? And the two angels stood by and said, what are you looking at? You know, what you, the very Jesus that you saw go up into the clouds, you return in like manner. Well, here it is, guys. And that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem. And this is definitely post-trib, right? On the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley. So the half of the mountain will be moved toward the north and the other half toward the south. And it talks about how the wicked, when he comes, They'll be standing up and it goes on to talk about how their eyes will be consumed and their tongues while they're standing up because the nations will lop their weapons on each other and Christ will come back and so forth. And then we read in verse 9, look what it says. And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be the only one 
and his name, the only one. Hasn't happened yet. He's not the only king, right? And he's not yet sent yet to the Mount of Olives, but it will happen. But look at verses 16 and 17. When he comes back, and this is definitely at the end of the tribulation, okay, it's the second coming on the Mount of Olives, not anything seven years earlier. Go ahead and look at verses 16 and 17. Then it will come about that any who are left, what's it say? Look at verse 16. Then it will come about that any who are left, any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Wow. Just like the Jews left the promised land and occupied Booths to go, left, I'm sorry, Egypt and went into the promised land and had the choice, the opportunity to become uh, God's citizens, amen, in the promised land. Just as that happened, God's going to give the nations an opportunity to leave their lands and become part of His kingdom. Verse 17, And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth... By the way, this proves they're not, they're not believers, necessarily. That they're not... In fact, it shows that they have mortal bodies. And that they're not in resurrected bodies reigning with Christ because they're not with Him at the resurrection reigning from Jerusalem. They're being fished out of the nations, being asked to whether or not they want to become citizens of God's kingdom. And we read in verse 17, And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be what? No rain on them. Judgment. By the way, for believers, when we're raised, can, can we lose our raised bodies? No, the Bible says we have incorruptible, imperishable, we're with Christ forever, we'll forever be with Him. These are people who are not with Him, who are given the choice to become followers of the Lord. And if they don't come up, He'll withhold their reign from them. In fact, look at verse 18. If the family of Egypt does not go up and enter, then no rain will fall on them. And it will be, and check it out, it will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up and celebrate the Feast of Booths. See, just as Gentile believers are able to be grafted in to the olive tree, the natural branches being the Jews, and Gentile believers are being grafted in, amen, others are allowed to be grafted in, even, even able to celebrate the Feast of Booths anew, which was a picture of coming into God's kingdom in the Exodus, which I think this is a powerful thing here going on. Verse 20, In that day there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord. You won't see, you know, Toyota, Ford, Chevrolet. You'll see cool horses, uh, Holy to the Lord, you know. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. Verse 21, Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come and take of them and boil in them. And there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. That's because everybody that belongs to the Lord will be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. And not a wicked rebel against the Lord. Now, check this out. When your pre-trib brother says, Hey, how if you're post-trib and the rapture happens and all of us get raptured at the end of the tribulation and all the wicked are destroyed... How are there mortal bodies in the millennium to populate? What two chapters? Very simple to remember. Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14. There's only 14 chapters in Zechariah. Just remember chapter 12 and 14. The Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews first and then the Gentiles. I love the way God sets it up. There's Jews, a Jewish remnant that goes into the millennium with mortal bodies. And there is a Gentile uh, people that, and by the way, these aren't believers during the tribulation period. Amen. 
These are Jews who come to Christ after they see Him whom they've what? Pierced. And these Gentiles are given opportunity. And they are left from among the nations that went up against Jerusalem to fight at Armageddon. Understand that? So who is the Lord coming to destroy when He comes back? He comes and wages war. Ten nations will give their, their, ten kings will give their power to the beast and they'll make war with the Lamb. Revelation chapter, I believe, 17, verses 11 through 14. Revelation 19, verse 11. Jesus Christ will come back on the white horse and he'll wage war. And he'll, his, he'll come with the armies of heaven. And, and what, what he'll do? He'll defeat the armies of Antichrist, verses 19, 18 through 21 in Revelation 19. He's going to defeat the Antichrist. The false prophet will be taken and thrown in the lake of fire, it says in verse 20, 21. And then what? He's going to destroy the Antichrist armies. The birds of the air will be called to eat them. But guess what? There will be people in various regions of the earth from the nations that, that are left there that he doesn't destroy. That he allows to come into the kingdom if they so choose. Who would that be? Well, wait, I don't like this idea about getting a second chance. Well, it's not about our ideas, first of all. It's about what the scriptures say. And let me just say this. The scriptures don't say a second chance. I don't believe it's talking about those who took the mark of the beast. Those who worship the Antichrist. I don't believe they get a second chance. Because Revelation 14, 9 through 12 says that anyone that takes that mark will be damned forever and ever. No rest day and night. And the scriptures tell us that they won't repent either in Revelation 16. So that's not who we're talking about. Well, then who would this be discussing? Who would we be talking about here? Well, by the way, there's another passage. There's another passage which shows mortal bodies in the millennium, besides the two I shared with you. Go to Isaiah chapter 66. By the way, are you with me? Is it clear? Isaiah 66. And when you get there, go ahead and look at verse 16. The Lord will execute judgment by fire and by sword on, the, on all flesh, and those slain by the Lord will be many. But guess what? There's going to be many. But I think this is interesting. Look at verse 16 again. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on who? On all flesh. What's the all mean there? Look at the next phrase. And those slain by the Lord will be many. And how we know all means many here and not all without exception is go ahead and look at verse 18. And by the way, I think that's interesting that verse 16 says that. I love that. All, but the all is many. Because verse 18 says, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and will send survivors from them to the nations. Tarshish, Put, Lud, uh, Meshech, Tubal, and Javan, to, a dis- to the distant coastlands, distant coastlands, guys, that have neither what? Heard my fame, nor seen my glory. These are not believers. These are non-believers. And they will what? Declare the glory among the nations. Is that amazing? There it is again. These are people who hadn't seen his fame. Hadn't heard his glory. Don't know about the Lord. Yet after he comes to execute judgment and he destroys all, which are really many, there's still some left that he gathers. And they can either become part of his kingdom or not. Now, who? this is where it gets really interesting to me. Who would these guys be? Who would they be? Think about it. Who would these people be? Well, think about this. Think about this. 
who did God say would go into the promised land during the Exodus? And by the way, the Exodus is an interesting picture of this because you got the Feast of Booths again, and God had them celebrate the Feast of Booths when they went from Egypt to the promised land. And we go back to that time. Who did God say? Because remember, they turned against Him in the wilderness. He made them wander for 40 years. But He only allowed who to go in. Somebody said the next generation. And there's truth to that. But does it, was it only the next generation? Was anybody else allowed to go in? Anybody remember who? Everybody's yelling Joshua and Caleb. Well, this is true, but guess what? Did you know the Scriptures at one point just mentioned Caleb? In fact, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 34 through 36, says, Then the Lord heard the sound of the words, sound of your words, and he was angry and took an oath, saying, Not one of these men, this, not one, and I'll catch this, not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb. Wow. Except Caleb. So it says, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and to his sons, I will give the land on which he has set foot because he has followed the Lord fully. Remember, he was one of the two spies that went in there. And he was faithful. He says, no one but Caleb. So I can run with that verse, say only Caleb with the promised land, but that would be right. Because Deuteronomy goes on to say much more. It's just emphasizing Caleb because a little bit later, you find out that there's another guy who happens to be the successor of Moses, amen, who also stood with Caleb and was faithful, named Joshua. You were right. Bible trivia, you'd still be right. But if you isolate yourself to a single verse, and that's the only verse you looked at, you would lose in Bible trivia if you weren't allowed to use the rest of the Bible. That's what I'm saying. You can't look at a, a phrase and say, oh, this is the only ones that go in. you got to look at all the Scripture in any subject. Rightfully divide the word of truth, amen? So Joshua and Caleb, but you know what? It wasn't just Joshua and Caleb. Go to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, right before Deuteronomy, the fourth book, or third, yeah, you're talking Genesis and Exodus and uh, Leviticus, and then you'll hit Numbers. uh, And then when you hit Numbers, go ahead and look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 27. I want to show you something that I think this is really cool. Numbers 14. Uh, 27. And when you look at it, we'll go from 27 to about verse 30. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Even all your number, your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. There's Joshua and Caleb, but guess what? There's a whole lot of other people going in because who's excluded? Everybody is who is what age? 20 and older. Those who are under 20 during that sin are not held accountable for the sins of their parents who went wandering in the wilderness. So guess what? When God said only two people were getting in, only one, Caleb, well, wait, we saw the scripture. Also, look right there, Joshua. Oh, just Caleb, Joshua. Nope. There's a bunch of other people going into the promised land, into the kingdom. And it's a bunch of young people that are under the age of accountability. Guess what, folks? 
when Jesus Christ comes back, the reason there's a lot of mortal bodies that are going to go into the kingdom is because there's a lot of young people who will not be damned by Jesus because he's a good God. Amen? But they haven't been tested yet. They haven't been tried yet. These are younger people who haven't reached the age of accountability. Are you saying everybody under 20? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just showing you in Exodus, that's what he did there. I don't know what the age will be. I don't know how the Lord will exactly do that. I just believe this, that we do know that everybody who takes the mark of the beast will be damned. Amen? All the wicked that are raging against the Lord will be damned. Amen? But we also see that according to uh, chapter 14 of uh, Zechariah, according to Isaiah chapter 6, 20, uh, 66, there will be people left from among the nations who will go in. And it won't be those who are against Jesus, define him, because the scriptures are clear, they will be wiped out. But there'll be a lot of young people that will go into the millennial period and have an opportunity to grow up and become followers of the Lord and be tested, and there'll be a new testing time. The good news for you and me is, this is our testing time. If you chose Jesus, you'll be raised, amen, or caught up to meet the Lord, and you'll be reigning with Christ for a thousand years in an imperishable, incorruptible, immortal body, and you won't have to be tested, amen? But how will we reign with Christ? I believe it's very likely that we will help raise or bring up or encourage those young people in the Lord and help, and help take care of those because we're reigning now. And there'll be a lot of young people. We'll be teaching them about the Lord and we'll be encouraging them to go up because it says the survivors, right, will go out and, and we'll, be on a, we'll have a whole other mission trip. We'll be like, okay, I'm going on a mission. We think missions are over. No, I think there's more missions during the millennial period because there's going to be all kinds of people that are going to be told to come up and worship the Lord. The difference is, is we'll have these resurrected bodies, amen? No more pain, you know, and so forth. We'll be ruling with Christ for a thousand years. By the way, doesn't this make good sense? It makes really, really good sense. And uh, to me, I'm tempted to summarize everything I just said. But I think I said enough on this subject. And you could do your own summary, summary in your mind, you know. Uh, but Because I, I said a whole lot tonight, a lot to think about. But I believe the scriptures are really, really clear. Jesus is coming back. When he comes back, when a pre-tribulationist says to you, how do you get mortal bodies in the tribulation period if all the believers are resurrected at the post-trib rapture? And they say, and all the wicked are destroyed without exception. What's your answer? All the wicked are not destroyed without exception. There's people that will be under the age of accountability. And the scriptures are clear that Jews and Gentile believers, they won't be believers at the time. Jews and Gentile non-believers that haven't yet come to Christ will see him after he comes back and have an opportunity to follow him. Amen? We've proven that with Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, and Isaiah 66. Want two or three witnesses? There's three of them right there. Amen? But it's the pre-trib view that doesn't work because the pre-trib view has believers in mortal bodies entering the tribulation period and ignores the fact that the scriptures tell us that the believers at the end of the tribulation will be what? resurrected amen praise god so i hope we have a better understanding of what the scriptures say about the end times Um, we're going through revelation on sundays and this might have been a study i could have waited to do when we're going through the millennium but i'm trying to get the revelation series done sooner rather than later so i'm glad to do one of them here amen so uh now when that question comes up i do not mind if you come and ask me this question all over again okay no problem, I'll still give it to you. But my hope is that you, if you didn't catch it all or understand 
the main points, grab that CD, amen? Play it a couple times over. It'll make more and more sense to you. Amen? But did it make a lot of sense? Praise God. God is good, amen? And I, please, please pray. We pre mid or post, we love our brothers. This is an in-house debate, as I said. But it's an important topic because we do believe Jesus warned the church about what's coming. And we believe the enemy wants to rob us of those warnings as a recipe for apostasy. So it's like a Pearl Harbor or 9-11 event that the church is not ready for because we think we're going to be raptured first. And my heart breaks. That's why I'm passionate about this issue because I believe I know very well what Jesus made clear in his longest message was the Olivet Discourse warning us about the end times for a reason. And he said many will fall away at that time. Yet he said about tribulation, even in general, that I'm telling you these things ahead of time so what happens you won't fall away. Well, how is it that many fall away? Because he tells us ahead of time, but the message isn't being communicated. We need to follow through with what he said and make sure that we're doing what we can. So can you do me a favor? We're going to have a time, we'll specify a date later, for prayer and fasting, for revivists, which we'll get, you know, last year we got, I think, 4,000 people or so. Get a lot of non-believers. Uh, a lot of backsliders will show up too, as well as a lot of people that love Jesus. And we'll share the gospel very clearly. Pray that people would come that don't, that don't know Jesus, that can be saved, amen, that God will save them, amen. But also, in your prayer and fast, pray for those who are hurting, those who are sick among us. Uh, I heard about, uh, just before I came in the service, I, um, I, got, I was in the parking lot for a little bit talking to a guy on the phone, and he was sharing me about a gal named Elizabeth uh, Marino, who is in a coma right now. Uh, she came to the church a few times years back. Uh, and Alex had just shared that with me right as I walked in the door. And she's in a coma right now, so pray for her too. Pray for those who are sick, those who are hurting, amen. But also pray that God would wake up the church and that he'd use our DVD. Make that please part of your prayer so we can get the word out, so we can shake the church up, so at least people have a heads up before it all goes down, amen. Love you guys, and praise the Lord for you, and let's seek the Lord. Father God, we